0: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Jason and Scott Show. We're recording today's show on November 18th, 2015, and uh, I want to start by saying hello to my co-host, Scott Wingo. Happy Wednesday, Scott. Hey, Jason. How are you? What part of the world are you in today? Uh, I am in lovely San Francisco, California. Nice. Yep. Before we jump into things, I definitely want to thank everyone for all the great support and feedback you've given us on the first episode.
1: Yeah, I want to echo that. We had um, a lot of folks that we know out there on social media and at our respective companies give us lots of great feedback. And hopefully here in episode two, you'll hear some of your feedback
0: reflected. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it. There's a lot going on this week. Merrill Lynch has that annual holiday pricing survey, and I noticed that that came out. I assume you got a chance to dive into it, Scott?
1: I did. It's always interesting to see these pricing surveys. Uh, I always like the this one in particular because it's, it's human driven. Um, there's some out there that, that are more, you know, they look at 800 products and things and they're more kind of robotic and. I always worry: Are they really capturing the right prices and the right skew? Because, as you know, it's easy to look at a page and think you have the right price uh, from a spider perspective, but a lot of times you may not get the lowest price, or you know, if you're on Amazon, or you are you picking the right color combination and that kind of thing. So, so, the way this report works is Merrill Lynch has these analysts in their e-commerce group. Uh, it's Justin Post, and they do six categories, and then they pick ten top-selling items, kind of off everyone's holiday best-selling list. So they have the obvious ones like toys, music, sporting goods for a total of 60 products. So it's not the the world's deepest survey, but it is very handcrafted. So the, the SKUs that are on there are top sellers. Um, and then what they do is they look across retailers. Um, the results, uh, Know, shouldn't be a huge surprise Amazon uh, was anointed the leader that uh, they had hundred percent availability so that they look at availability and then the price uh, of the ones they had which was hundred percent they were 82 percent were lower than the, the overall retail so Amazon was a, a, a price leader on there in um, four of the categories Amazon was the lowest out there uh, Amazon did best in music and and movies uh, kind of their sweet spot and then they did worse in toys which I thought was interesting because usually Amazon um, is pretty aggressive on toys, so maybe they feel like they have some room to go there. Uh, maybe the competition is kind of slacking off in toys, or maybe they just haven't rolled out their lower pricing. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, that is surprising. Yeah. Jet um, Jet did really well, but they only had 30% of the items. So Jet is still kind of building selection. Um, the number two was Walmart. They, uh, they actually uh, – when you look at year over year, last year they were quite a bit cheaper than they were this year. So uh, I know we're going to talk about it later. Uh, you know, It's interesting to kind of try to figure out what's Walmart's strategy right now. They're kind of in this limboish zone of they're not being as aggressive on price online um and you know it's not exactly clear what their holiday strategy is uh, and then the last one i thought was interesting was uh, kind of the underdog in this whole thing is ebay ebay actually did really well in the survey they had 100% of the products uh, and frequently they had the lowest price even compared to amazon the 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 survey called out that at up to 10% lower than Amazon. But then they kind of got uh, negative marks and didn't come out in the top because it's so hard to find things on eBay. And a lot of times when you no know, one you're buying from Joe's ferret store, you're not exactly sure are you going to get this product or not. So they kind of got um, punished for the search experience and and findability and deliverability and trust kind of factors. So uh, you know, hopefully the new management team at eBay can kind of take those things into consideration and, and look at them. What what did you see in the report that was interesting, Jason?
0: Yeah, well, a, I I do think that the low prices at eBay is going to be a surprise to a lot of people because I I think there's a lot of people that are not regular eBay shoppers and you know don't have the expertise to sort of navigate the the search engine on eBay that would probably be surprised to know that there are these better deals to be had there. And in my mind, that's at least something to potentially build on for the management team. But I look at it and I keep thinking. Are these kinds of surveys going to be a big problem for JET? Because obviously, like, right now they have an assortment problem, and that, you know, jumps out at you like a sore thumb. They have some work to do in their assortment. But their whole model is predicated on saying, hey, we're absolutely the lowest prices and we're below Amazon and because of the complicated dynamic cart pricing, like these kind of pricing surveys are never going to do a good job of reflecting Jet's best pricing.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. You have to kind of, to really get the Jet savings, you have to have a pretty full cart, kind of a $100 kind of cart or four or five items. Then you also have to go through some manual processes of, you know, turning off returns and opting into this, opting out of that changing your payment and uh, you know, I don't even though this one's human done it they don't really specify did they go through all that or not they did say generally when jet did have the product which was only 30% of the time it was it was a you know low cost leader so uh, they did call that out but it wasn't clear did they add them all to the cart or to get extra savings or anything like that
0: in general, like, do you, what is your feeling about dynamic pricing? Uh, do you think that that is the future of e-commerce? It's. Uh, we could
1: probably spend a whole podcast on that one. Um, you know, what, what we've decided at Advisor is we we give retailers the tools to do whatever strategy they want. Um, we're not. Um, we don't drive their strategy. We certainly give advice, and you know, in a in a a world of dynamic pricing the the negative side of it is it's a race to zero so you have to kind of ask yourself what's the right balance there um so i do think it's important for retailers to understand their assortment and how it competes out there and to have a an underlying philosophy and you know to say these are products we're going to be very competitive on and these other ones we're going to hold the line um so, yeah, yeah I, I do think you have to watch it. And you know, Walmart has kind of "quote unquote" everyday low pricing, and I think that's 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 nice. But I think now it's kind of like every millisecond low pricing. You have to kind of really keep your eye on these things, especially with these products that are going to be bringing people into your your online store. Uh, you know, they they're kind of like the old school toothpaste where Walmart would always have the lowest price on toothpaste to get people in the door. I, I think you have to pick some of your products and, and pretty be pretty aggressive on them
0: yeah and I mean, to me, that does i think for a while that's been one of the numerous competitive advantages that Amazon has enjoyed is they're just much more sophisticated and robust in their pricing model, right? And you know, amongst other things, they I mean, they change prices way more than anyone else, but it's not just to always get below everyone else in the in the category they're They're very strategic about their pricing, and i I think it's it's at a time when consumers are getting more used to this dynamic pricing. I mean, we've all Paid surge pricing on Uber. I'm here in San Francisco, and the parking meters actually change their rates depending on on uh, how much available parking there is in the city, which is pretty crazy. And the type of car, and if you're a Googler, that I I think we should have those as inputs too. (laughs) I'll bet you that would that would be an easy easy ordinance to pass in San Francisco. There, there is a pretty interesting store out there. Uh, Warren Buffett owns a a very large furniture and consumer electronics retailer in Nebraska called Nebraska Furniture Mart. And uh, one of the buildings on that on that campus is a consumer electronics store that's fifty thousand square feet. It's about the size of a Best Buy. It's got like thirty thousand SKUs in it, and they've replaced the paper signs in that store with all digital fact tags. So that's like the The e ink from your Amazon Kindle as a price tag in front of every product. And they're using a pricing service to scrape their, the pricing on every one of their products from their competitors every night and they adjust their pricing in the store every day. So, you know, not quite as dynamic as Amazon and midday changes and all those sorts of things. uh, Definitely an interesting step towards a brick and mortar retailer adopting some of the best practices of the top online uh, retailers. Yeah, that, that's definitely interesting.
1: Have you uh, had a chance to go visit that new Amazon store? Don't they have some dynamic pricing element to what they're up to?
0: Yeah, exactly. So you know, they understandably want to offer the same pricing in the store that they do online. And since they, they can change price at any time online, they, they couldn't print paper uh, price tags in the store. And so instead, they have a barcode, and uh, you need to use the Amazon app and use Firefly to scan those those uh, those barcodes and they tell you what the current price is on the store. So you, you literally can't. Pick up a book on the shelf and know what you're going to pay without having the Amazon app installed on your phone. That's
1: really interesting. I I saw a lot of the other elements. I didn't realize you had to have the app to even kind of use the physical store. That, that's a that's pretty clever.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was a little surprised. Like normally, it's really hard for retailers to get all their customers to adopt the app, and like so, I would normally say that that's a pretty risky move. in In Amazon's case, like they, you know, they do have better downloads on that app, and you know, maybe they they are a retailer with enough juice to get you to to install the app as you walk in the store, or you can ask a sales associate to look up prices for you as well.
1: Yeah. Kind of um, speaking of stores as the official retail geek, I'm sure you saw over the last week, it was kind of a bloodbath in retail. You had kind of Macy's kicked it off with really disappointing uh, results. And then Nordstrom's followed up. Even Kohl's was a bit of a – it appeared to do well on the surface, but it was kind of like a 2% kind of a win versus down. Um, and then just this week, exporting Sporting Goods came out and just said, hey, it was a rough third quarter and we're lowering fourth quarter guidance. Um Walmart kind of showed a very small increase in same store sales and everyone was ecstatic because everyone's had such low expectations there. What um and then you know we uh, at at NRF uh, I think it was last year or the year before they had that guy talking about you know no new mall has been built since 2006, mall traffic is down 50%. Uh you know there's pictures of dead malls everywhere. Uh, is, is the, is the retail store dead? And, and, you know, what, what's going on? What is causing this? Is it the weather? Is it, I kind of think it's when I look at the data that we see a lot of it. You know, I attribute a lot of it to Amazon. I think these guys have an Amazon problem. So what do you think, Jason? Is, is retail dying? Are these kind of the nails in the coffin of,
0: of physical retail? I don't think retail is dead. I think digital has fundamentally changed how we use retail. Now that we're all pre-shopping on our mobile devices, we don't necessarily go to the store to find out what's in stock anymore, and we certainly don't go to multiple stores to compare prices, so some visits have clearly gone away. We also have way too many stores in the U.S. We have like 23 square feet of space for every man, woman, and child in the United States. And that compares with less than five square feet per capita for most other industrialized countries. And many of those stores are in the wrong locations because the U.S. population is migrating away from the suburbs back to the city centers. So traffic for many retailers is down, but conversion is usually up. Retail's having a tough time right now because Amazon is simply out-competing them and winning a big chunk of the growth. Weather is definitely one of the contributing factors this quarter. I think October was the warmest October on record, and it turns out we can make a lot more money selling winter coats than we do selling T-shirts. So when the weather's hot, retail tends to suffer. I also think we're starting to see consumers shift their traditional spending patterns. They're spending less on hard goods and more on food experiences and, of course, Apple products. What gives me hope, though, is that retailers that offer a lot of utility or great experiences continue to do well. Traffic at Walmart and Target is actually up this quarter. The best malls in the U.S. are booming. The Bell Harbor Mall in Miami does over $3,000 per square foot. That's an entire mall that does as well as an Apple store. In fact, average sales per square foot in the top 100 malls in the U.S. is up this year. And lastly, when retailers open interesting new flagship stores, they do great. So I think what we're seeing is that stores that have reinvented themselves to offer great experiences for digitally savvy consumers are doing well. The challenge is that we have a lot of retailers that are struggling to recognize that their consumers have fundamentally changed, and those stores are in trouble. Yeah, another
1: interesting stat from the Macy's one was they're actually they're you, you brought it up when you mentioned Metro's their New York store, uh, evidently the Herald Square store drives more than 10% of their business. Uh, I didn't realize it was that big. Uh and it's really suffering because of the dollar. Um so there's less international travelers coming to New York. Those that are still coming to New York don't have massive amounts of money to spend because they're at a currency disadvantage. I, th- I thought that was kind of an interesting. You know, single point of failure that Macy's had that that was kind of interesting to think through
0: yeah absolutely and like particularly an international destination like new york a bunch of the flagships uh, i think suffer from from the those same circumstances
1: yeah and I, I know since you travel around so much you, you're always looking at kind of new retail concepts um and we talked about the amazon store a little bit earlier um what what else have you seen as far as new concepts that you think can be a next generation of, of physical store
0: yeah, so there's a bunch of cool things going on. Um, I got to visit Microsoft's new flagship store on Fifth Avenue in New York last week. Um, and that's a store that had gotten a lot of buzz. And I have to tell you, it's a perfectly fine store. I was a little underwhelmed. I expected them to make some effort to reinvent the shopping experience and show us some new things that really put their products in the best light. And what it really is, is a much bigger version of a, a typical Microsoft store. So instead of one space it's three stories and all the the Xbox stuff has its own floor that's very well branded on the middle and they've subleased the third floor to Dell. Um and so Dell has kind of a big shop-in-shop where they're showing a bunch of their cool PC experiences. But the, you know, product I was most interested in seeing there is they have the HoloLens, which is, you know, this cool augmented reality technology that Microsoft is touting. And perfect example like The display was that they had the the hardware that you wear locked in a glass case so that you can see it but can't touch it or try it. And they have kind of a lame video playing showing you a rendering of what it might be like to wear the glasses. And, you know, frankly, if I just saw that, I would think this whole thing is vaporware and only because I've talked to other people that have actually – Tried the product? Do I know that it it isn't vaporware? Hmm, interesting. Yeah.
1: Do you have to have a, a Windows Phone to see the prices in that store? <laughs> you
0: you do not. Like they're they're using traditional printed. Uh- oh, thank goodness. It, they do have a really cool digital sign. If you haven't been to a Microsoft store, they do have this, uh, the whole wall of the store is essentially a digital sign. And so that is like pretty cool that they're like when you pick up an Xbox, they're able to open a window on the wall that you, you play your game on and, and stuff like that. But the, again, that what isn't unique to the flagship, that, but that was pretty cool. And obviously on Fifth Avenue, there's a lot of competition for cool retail experiences. So they're, you know, a block down from the famous Fifth Avenue Apple store, which I think is like one of the highest volume Apple stores in the world. And I, I popped into that store and, you know, frankly, I don't usually expect to see new things in Apple stores because obviously they don't, they don't carry that many products. So you know, well in advance when they have a new product. And so that's not a store I expect to walk into and see something dramatically new, but I was caught by surprise. They have built a cool new table to demonstrate the, the force touch on their phones. Hmm. So normally when you, wa- you know, shop Apple products, they're on this famous Johnny Ives designed, uh, wooden table. And now one of those tables is made out of metal and the actual surface of the table is a big video display. And so they have the iPhone 6s or the 6s rather floating over the video display and they have the video on the phones synced to the video on the television. So it's kind of simulating a pond. You can see like fish swimming around in the water and the fish can swim from the video on the table to the phone and back to the table. But what's cool is when you hit the phone, it creates ripples of water that go out onto the table. And the harder you hit the phone or, you know, whatever force you use changes the pattern of the ripple. So it's kind of a, it's, it's just a silly feature, but it, it's kind of a cool way that really got people to touch the phone and interact with the phone and like made it very clear that this phone knew how hard you were, you were touching the phone, which I thought was kind of a, a clever little merchandising trick. And that, uh, Behind the scenes, that uses a psychological principle that we call the endowment effect where, you know, you get, you get people to play with the phone in that way in the store and then they start to feel like they own the phone. And so now walking out of that store without of the phone is actually, is actually going to feel like a loss instead of, you know, feeling like you have to make a dec- decision to buy the phone. You actually have to make a decision not to give the phone back.
1: Yeah. I've never seen that. It must only be in some of the flagship stores.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's brand new and it's going to roll out to all the stores or it's unique to those those really big stores, but I thought it was pretty cool. And then down the street from that is the Ralph Lauren flagship store. And I miss this because this, this happened just today. They rolled out a new digital dressing room. And I'm not always the biggest fan of digital dressing rooms. I, I haven't gotten to see this one yet, but the sort of Interesting inside baseball story here is that eBay actually had an innovation lab, and they, they started building a digital dressing room in the eBay innovation lab. And some of the leaders of that lab actually left and started this new company, Oak Labs. So, you know, earlier this year, the eBay Magic Mirror came out, and it's it's uh, being used in the Rebecca Minkoff stores and getting a lot of buzz. And now you've got this Oak Labs version of a very similar product that's in the Ralph Lauren flagship and the pictures I've seen. They frankly look pretty similar as well. So I'm, hmm. I'd be curious to know how eBay uh, Labs feels about that.
1: Yeah. That was part of the eBay enterprise, which has kind of been torn apart into 12 pieces by these, these private equity firms. It's, it's very unclear to everyone who owns what and why. And so it, I, th- I think it'll probably get lost in the mix inside of there.
0: I was going to say it's not even clear to me that that little innovation piece even exists anymore. Yeah, the really cool store that I, I've seen in the last couple of weeks is, you know, I live in Chicago and a pop up store opened up on Michigan Avenue for uh, Tom Shoes. And what was interesting about this is the physical store was provided by this company called Shop With Me. And they're really trying to get in the business of building a store that you can rent to any brand that that brand can then use for pop ups. And so I think the first use of this store was for Zappos in Las Vegas, and then they moved it to Chicago, and they have Tom's Shoes and Raven and Lily apparel in it. And the whole notion is, man, if the products are going to change in the store and the brand is going to change all the time, we don't want any printed signs. We don't want any static uh merchandising. We want the entire store to be digital and I want to be able to redress the entire store from my digital content management system. So all the price tags are digital. All the signage on the inside and outside of the store is digital. They have digital dressing rooms. They have a bunch of big uh, digital signage. And it's a, you know, it's a pretty interesting concept to. To think that, gosh, here's a generic store that any brand can, you know, buy or rent and then, you know, dramatically reskin it digitally, uh, to become very in brand for them. Interesting. Yep. And then I, I guess the last cool store I've been to this week is I mentioned I'm in San Francisco and here is, uh, where Target's open home is, which is a pretty cool home of the future store where they sort of demonstrating a lot of the, the newest and coming soon home automation products and the sort of internet of things. And you know that's a tough category to sell because none of the products in that category by themselves are very interesting what's cool is seeing all those products work together and that's really what they're trying to demonstrate at the the open home is is how all you know how cool your nest is when you have the thermostat and the the digital cameras and how it can work with the lock from the other company and the Samsung home automation controller and all these things work together
1: cool so is it just kind of setups of rooms and things and people demonstrating these these items or do you kind of self walk through it uh
0: there is both a self-service and a guided version somewhat similar to the shop with me the back wall of all of these are all room vignettes and the back wall of all the rooms are completely digital And so they put a picture on it that makes it look like a bedroom or look like a living room or whatever. But then they can overlay, like, guided text that kind of guide you through the features of the room. And so if you shop it alone, you can see all the products and the digital signage will kind of walk you through a story. But they do have concierges that can, you know, kind of direct you to specific things and can do other live demos and you know, I think they've really tried to make it an event space. So they hold lots of uh, meetings for maker groups and 3D printing groups and home automation groups. And they they bring in lots of demos of coming soon products. And you know, I think they have a partnership with Indiegogo and some stuff like that.
1: Got it. Cool. Well, I think it's time to talk about one of our favorite topics.
0: Yes, uh, I've been I've been uh, trying to hold my water, but I know you you get pretty excited time to talk about robots absolutely
1: as an aside speaking of robots we're within 30 days of star wars uh episode seven so i just want to put that out there to remind everyone that december 18th is the official day but there are december 17th showings so
0: and can i presume that you already have a uh, tickets for a december 17th showing yep all locked and loaded ready to go nice and i don't want to digress too much but like is there any controversy over like what kind of theater you should be seeing it in
1: I think it's pretty obvious you should do IMAX. That's kind of what I what I default to. It's going to be in 3D, so seeing it on the IMAX format, I think it's going to be totally immersive. So I'm I'm excited about it. There are are like 6 theaters that are doing a whole they're going to show the first 6 and then it'll culminate with the showing of 7. That's that's just a little too much for me. I did that with Lord of the Rings and it was it was crazy.
0: But if they show all 6, what order are they going to show them in?
1: That we could, we should dedicate a whole podcast
0: to that. That's a, that's a long,
1: deep topic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough, uh, but there are <laughs> going to be robots in it, are there not?
1: Droids, yes. In the Star Wars world, we call them droids, and there will be robots. But let's talk about real world robots. And um, you and I both love talking about robots. You you kick it off.
0: Yeah. So so a new robot get, got introduced this week, and I think it's actually a really clever idea that solves a real world problem for retailers. So this, this is a startup that has a product called Simbi, and Simbi is a robot with a camera um, whose sole purpose is to scan around a retail store, kind of like a Roomba, but take pictures of all the shelves and then use image processing software to calculate your, your accurate inventory for the entire store from those pictures.
1: Can it like raise and lower and look down the shelf and stuff?
0: Yeah, and I, I i mean, full disclosure, I haven't seen it live yet. Uh I assume it has a pretty wide-angle lens, um, but I assume there's some articulation so that they can get a couple angles because obviously you'd want to know not just how many product facings there are but how many products deep you have on those shelves. Yeah. But the premise is really valuable because obviously, like, as digital has totally disrupted retail and everyone's pre-shopping now before they go to a store, it's more important than ever that you have – Really accurate inventory information available online. And, you know, frankly, one of the places we've all fallen down as e-commerce operators are you, you place an order from a tier one retailer and you can be really confident that that product will ship on time and then you'll get it on time. But if you place a buy online pickup and store order, or if you just look online to see inventory and then go to the store and try to find it, you are not very confident at all that that product's going to be waiting for you in the store or that, that you'll find the number of products in the store that the website told you were there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's I've tried the buy online, pick up in store, and and it's got a pretty high failure rate. I would say kind of somewhere between ten and twenty percent.
0: That that would be my guess too. Although I have to tell you, I saw uh, a, a study recently that that kind of strictly defined failure, and it claimed failure rates of as high as forty percent. Wow. Yeah, which would be pretty much a bummer.
1: I think if you got an apparel, you would see that because
0: of the size, style thing, just really really kills you. Exactly. And all those products are are in the digital dressing room, and you don't know it. Yep. Another cool robot in retail down the street from me here in San Francisco, uh, Orchard Supply Hardware have this cool uh, OshBot, which is, you know, Orchard's owned by Lowe's. And this is a bot that has, like, a digital store finder screen on it. And you use a touchscreen, and you say, uh, hey, I want to know where the hammers are. And it shows you a map with where you are and where the hammers are. Um, But unlike a traditional store finder, it then says, follow me. And the Mm. robot actually goes to the hammer section and leads you there, which is pretty cool.
1: That is cool. Is it pretty fast?
0: Uh, It is. It's not fast enough to be alarming, but it it definitely doesn't – it feels like a comfortable walking pace. It doesn't feel like like it's either going too slow or that you're struggling to keep up.
1: Is it like a BB-8 kind of a format, like a rolling ball or what – is it like a – Se- Segway kind of thing what is it
0: yeah the, uh, the bb8 would be a way cooler version um but i think this is based on like one of the telepresence robot platforms so yeah it looks okay. a lot more like a like a um segue than it does like a, a a cool uh soccer ball
1: cool can it cut links of pipe and board for you and
0: stuff uh not yet like this is exclusively tell you if a product is in stock and uh help help you find it at the moment
1: Cool. I, I could definitely use that. I'm always wandering around the lows lost.
0: I, I think big hardware stores in particular um, are hard to navigate. And so like, you know, that's another just like Simbi in the inventory. Like, I think, you know, tools that help with wayfinding in a big store like that, you know, sound far fetched, but, but they really do make sense. The one I'm I'm more on the fence about is uh, Best Buy has a robot called Chloe. And Chloe is one of these robotic arms and uh, uh, she can go grab your DVDs for the, you and put them in a cart, so that you don't have to go to all the effort of finding and pulling the DVDs off your shelf yourself.
1: Yeah, I saw that, and I was kind of like, "Why are we innovating around DVDs?" You know, uh, and you know, does this allow Best Buy to stock more DVDs and? You know why would they want to do that? And it, it wasn't entirely clear to me. none of it made sense to me. I, 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 you know, I love robots, but why DVDs?
0: Yeah, I, so I presume DVDs because there's a universal standard size uh, and shape for DVDs, so it's probably a really easy category to use as an early test. and i'm I'm going to assume that no one at Best Buy said we need an immediate solution for our DVD shopping problem, but perhaps they're thinking that that uh, they'll be able to expand it to a lot of other categories once they prove it out. Yeah. don't know and then like a couple more uh, robots you see in the stores like uh Seattle has a a store called Hointer which is like a, a kind of a, a new apparel company and uh, they don't have any live product on the floor so you pick out your products on a on a kiosk and then the hointer robot goes and grabs all the pro the apparel products in the back and puts them in your dressing room which is potentially interesting I think that's some ex Amazon guys. Um, that built that and then of course Amazon has a bunch of robots
1: yeah the um, the most famous ones are the little orange Kiva ones and uh, they just announced when they did their third quarter earnings uh, it came up in Q a one of the analysts, last year about this time they kind of just let drop that they had about 10,000 rob- robots deployed. Uh, and then this year they said they're at 30,000. So so that kind of took a lot of people by surprise because they've owned Kiva for gosh, how long is it? Like six or seven years now. Yeah. Um, they, they paid $775 million for it. And uh, it was funny when they did, I had a lot of wall street guys contact me and say, why do you think Amazon's doing this? And um, like, I think it was a week later, a bunch of German people walked out of, of the fulfillment centers because the of, you know, they wanted to form a union or something like that, uh, and I said that's exactly why. You know, the robots don't have to to sleep; they don't form unions, uh, and they work twenty four seven. I do have a funny Kiva story. Um, so one day, I got contacted by one of these professors I know here at the local university, NC State, and he said, "Hey, I have this. I my friend and I are starting a company, and we want to pitch you on this idea. And the idea was and this is probably two thousand five. Uh, they were going to go into every fulfillment center and have robots run everything and the guy was really excited because when he was in c state he studied the behavior of ants and bees and how they work in a colony to achieve different things and this was what these robots were going to use so the pitch was robots in warehouses and it's going to use bee algorithms or ant algorithms and i was like yeah you guys are crazy turned out that was the two founders of kiva and uh, I had an opportunity to do some angel investing, and I did not. So there you go, opportunity lost. It sounded so crazy at the time. It's it's kind of hard to articulate now, but uh, it was. They did it. You know, to their credit, they actually went and did it. It's pretty amazing.
0: Wow. I for one am uh, just welcoming my new robotic overload. So I'm just <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and embrace it. Have Have you by chance been to a Amazon fulfillment center that's using the Kivas?
1: I. I have not. I've seen Kiva's in action in other fulfillment centers, um, and I've seen the you know the the algorithm they utilize this. Pretty fascinating, in, in how it works. Um, and I know they've they've iterated through that. Um, they started with ants, and they've gone to a whole other kind of. They're on version eight. Um, we don't have time to get into it. We'll save that for another podcast. Very cool. A- Amazon does have another new robot that they're starting to talk a lot more about, and they're even starting to recruit around this. So it seems to be a big area of investment. Um, so everyone can go to Amazonrobotics.com and that's a new site they have talking about their robots. Uh, they talk mostly about Kiva on there, but another one is this this interesting arm. And I started to see this about two years ago on some pictures, uh, and they, they didn't really say what it was. Uh, now they've actually named it, and it's called the Stow. and it's usually in this kind of fenced-off area, and what it does is it it um, it moves pallets around, uh, and it puts them onto forklifts. So there's this big shelf with this very heavy stuff, and this one arm, it's a six-ton arm. It can lift 3,000-pound pallet and move it around. Um it's evidently um very good at, at breaking down large lots of things into smaller pallets. Um so I've started to see uh I saw a report that they have seven of these now, and that's part of their next gen fulfillment center is to have more of these Robo stows that that are able to do, you know, I think it would take people several hours to kind of manually do this and they can do it you know, literally in minutes.
0: Wow, that is very cool. Uh you probably already know about this, but uh, another Amazon URL that's kind of cool is this Amazon -hmm. And, uh, if you, for people that don't know, Amazon gives these great tours of their fulfillment centers. And so you can go to amazonfctours.com and you can sign up to get a guided tour through a fulfillment center. And, you know, depending on what center you pick to get a tour of, some of them are, are mostly people picking and then others, they're a combination of people and the robots. I haven't seen one of the robo yet, but it's, it's a really fascinating and illuminating, you know, couple of hours to do one of those tours if you have time. Have you done one? I have. Yeah. I've, I've done a couple now. I've been down to the, the San Bernardino uh, fulfillment center in Southern California and I've been to the Indiana one, which is, uh, I'm pretty sure, the one that I uh, give all my business to in Chicago.
1: Oh, cool. That's a newer one. That's probably 8th Gen. You probably saw the Robo Stow and all that stuff. The, the other one I've seen some of our apparel customers talk about um, is called Perfect Pick, and it's by a company called OPEX. O-P-E-X. Uh, you can Google it and see a YouTube. Um, it, it's pretty cool. It seems to be apparel-focused, so it can hold... Uh, a lot of garments. It has kind of a vertical orientation, so kind of like if you've been to the dry cleaner and they have those vertical racks that kind of, you know, um, pull the garments up so that they use vertical space instead of horizontal. Um, and some of our customers have raved about that and the the amount of pick time it has has uh, decreased and, and the accuracy for for garments is pretty interesting.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's it's very cool. So I think rolling it all up, retail is clearly not dead. It's just going to become robotic. Yeah. So on that note, we're probably out of time for this week, but I do want to uh, hit you up real quick. Thanksgiving's next week. Are you you have any big point? Are you going to be in line at Toys R Us at five PM, or are you going to get your Black Friday deals online, or, or how, how are you going to shop this year?
1: I'm going to focus on online. Yeah, keep an eye on what's going on and watch the data trickle in. We we kind of go real time with our data, and it's kind of fun to watch the spikes start to happen and um, and see the traffic rolling in. So I'll be I'll be having some pumpkin pie, watching the charts.
0: Uh, I am going to be right there with you in front of the analytics dashboard. Um, but it is fun. I do miss the old days when I used to go, not so much to shop, but just to observe. Uh, it's a, a great day of people watching to go, you know, watch people queue up for, for some of those doorbusters.
1: Yeah, and with that, we probably won't talk to people until after Thanksgiving. So let's we'll give everyone a happy Thanksgiving and hope everyone has a, a great holiday and takes some time off and gets ready for the rush.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and shop victoriously. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review.